Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. On October 28th, 2021, Sandy Snodgrass got the news that every parent dreads. Her son, Robert Bruce Snodgrass, died that day for an opiate overdose after taking drugs laced with the powerful drug fentanyl. Robert was 22 years old. Fentanyl is a man-made opioid that is up to 100 times more powerful than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin. It is now primarily being made in Mexico and is increasingly being used in the manufacture of counterfeit opioids and cut into cocaine, meth, Xanax, and other drugs. Drugs laced with this deadly opioid are responsible for 60% of drug overdose deaths nationwide uh, and in Alaska over the past year and is just this past weekend two teens in oregon died from taking counterfeit oxycodone pills that were cut with fentanyl the deaths associated with fentanyl are not limited to opioid addicts it might just as easily be your 17 year old son or daughter out with their friends who decides to take what they believe to be a xanax or oxy but is in fact a fentanyl laced fake that looks just like the pills their parents got from the doctor this danger is real and it is in Alaska. The message today is just one pill can kill. Please stay with me for the next hour for an important conversation about this very real threat. My guests today are Michael Troster from the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program and Sandy Snodgrass, who is an Anchorage therapist and a mother who lost her son to this lethal drug. Welcome to the program, both of you. I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having Glad me. Glad to be here. Thank you. All right. Uh, Michael is driving in North Carolina, so we uh, will be intermittently muting his mic. Um, but he's got some some road noise there. But uh, we appreciate uh, both of you taking the time. I think it's important combination that we get some information from uh, law enforcement uh, about what's going on. And um, Sandy, your story is uh, important also to get out to parents so they know what to look for and and how to talk to their kids, I think, is, is the big message. Um, I've already talked to my children about it after reading about this. It's uh, terrifying. Um, I need to take a second to remind people that we value listener participation. If you have a question for Michael or Sandy or a comment about today's topic, there are three ways to connect with us. If you are in the Anchorage area, our phone number is 907-550-8433. That's 907-550-8433. If you're listening outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. The last way is to email your questions to line1 at alaskapublic.org. you got to spell out line1, L-I-N-E-O-N-E. We will do our best to get your questions on the air. Okay, um, I guess to start us off, let's start off with some introductions. Uh, Michael, let's start with you and uh, tell us a little bit about um, your background and why you are on the show today. My background. I was, I'm a retired DEA agent. I was with DEA for over 31 years and retired 
to take the position as the first executive director of the high-intensity drug trafficking area. It was newly formed at the time that was uh, that was coming to be in Alaska. And that was uh, three years ago. Alaska was designated in May of 2018, and they hired me as the first director in April of 2019. Okay, what is the... Uh, I guess the question I have is what is the high intensity drug trafficking area program and why is Alaska like what is the mission and why is Alaska part of that? Uh, so the, the, we just call it HIDA for the sake of abbreviation so we don't have to go through the whole name each time. Right. Is a essentially a federal grant program run by the Office of National Drug Control Policy. There's 33 HIDA areas across the country that incorporate counties or districts in every state. National budget is just over $300 million for HIDA. Alaska was the last state that was incorporated into the national program. And it's mission at the most basic level is to facilitate coordination among law enforcement entities at all levels, at the state level, uh, local level, and federal level, and tribal, if there's a tribal police, in some places there's tribal police that are involved, to facilitate enforcement, intelligence sharing, and cooperation among law enforcement agencies to disrupt and dismantle drug trafficking and money laundering organizations. Okay, that sums it up. So that's kind of uh, your job then is to sort of make sure everybody's talking with each other and communicating and to, to make it as efficient as possible, it sounds like. Yeah, sure. It, uh, the program itself in Ida, uh, the program in Alaska is run by an executive board that I answer to, that executive board is made up of 16 representatives from 16 law enforcement agencies, and it's mandated by ONDCP, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, that those agencies be evenly divided among, between state and local law enforcement and federal law enforcement. All right, great. Thank you. Um, Sandy, before we get uh, in-depth like into the depth and scope of today's conversation. Can you tell us a little bit um, about your own journey here and what led you here and a little about your son? Tell us who he was and, uh, and what led to, to his death. I can. So my son Bruce was an Alaskan boy through and through. He loved Alaska. He loved being outdoors in Alaska. He was a he was a real adventure. He was into free climbing, which scared me to death. But um, yes. if anybody knows what free climbing is, that's climbing without ropes. So uh, he was a risk taker, and he excelled in all kinds of outdoor activities. And 
he had a dream to be an adventure guide in Alaska, and he had graduated from the National Outdoor Leadership School, Knowles, yeah. to that end. He was a Knowles graduate. He held his EMT in wilderness emergency care, so he was preparing for a life, you know, preparing for a life in Alaska. Unfortunately, he did get involved in drugs in, I think, I believe about his junior year in high school here in Anchorage, and he struggled with that for a number of years. He had recently gotten clean and sober, went to treatment, and was in an outpatient program, and he was active in his outpatient program as up to the day that he left my house on a bike ride and must have ran into somebody that he knew on that bike ride and he relapsed as so many young people do when they're trying to get clean and sober and stay clean and sober. He relapsed that day and horrifically got fentanyl instead of the drugs that I'm sure he intended to use. No one I don't think goes out looking for fentanyl. He relapsed and um, died on the spot. The police told me that he probably could, he was within yelling distance of help and did not yell for help. So the police believe that he dropped where he stood, where he had kicked the, the drug, and died on the spot. Yeah, I mean... I put a uh, a picture on the website, or, or we're putting one on the website, of a lethal dose of fentanyl, and it looks essentially like a a small sprinkle of salt um, compared to heroin, and it, it will fit on the head of a pencil. Like, it is a remarkably powerful drug, and uh, we're going to get into what it's uh, why so many people are dying and some of the statistics in a, a little bit. But um, can you tell us, Sandy, a little bit about, uh, well, actually, before I do that, I want to just take a second for uh, anybody who might be tuning in late uh, today. My guests are Michael Troster and Sandy Snodgrass. Michael is with the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program, and Sandy is an Anchorage therapist and a mother whose son Robert died on October 28, 2021, after taking drugs laced with fentanyl uh, at the age of 22. Today we are discussing the risks of fentanyl overdose due to the massive influx of counterfeit opioids that are being uh, mixed uh, with fentanyl. So if you have a question for Michael or Sandy or a comment about today's topic, you can reach us in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your questions on the air is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Um, Sandy, for uh, for folks who may not, uh, you know, may think, well, it can't happen to my kid. I mean, it sounds like, uh, like Bruce was just uh, an everyday high school Alaskan kid who started to dabble uh, in marijuana, alcohol, uh, sort of going down that road. I, as a therapist, work with so many young people who are taking Zans, uh, which is Xanax, and 
um, oxycodone and like all these little pills. They have there's pill parties. I mean, this is not. We're not talking about a you know um, heroin addict on the streets of some major city. We're talking about an Alaska kid that could have been anybody's child. It sounds like. Can you talk a little bit about how it started and as a parent where you got concerned? What were the warning signs? What were you? I mean, what was tried? Um, and at 22, like you said, very few people get sober and stay sober in their teens or early 20s. There is a relapse. Uh, it's very, very common, especially for young people, but also for old people. But um, can you talk a little bit about the beginnings of that and when you got worried and, and what parents might look for? Yes, I can. Thank you for the question. He, um, he was going to service. And I've, I've lived in Alaska since 1968, so I know the culture of the high schools here. And it came to my attention that they were still smoking pot out on Reefer Hill at service, just like they did when I was a kid. Yeah. So I knew that was going on. He told me that was going on. I pulled him out of service and put him in a lottery school, Highland Tech, to keep him away from that. And... You know, it was at Highland Tech also, and he would tell me what he was doing, and I tried to dissuade him in the way parents do and was unsuccessful, and he has a genetic predisposition to addiction. His father died directly as a result of alcohol and substance abuse. His grandfather died directly as a result of alcoholism and substance abuse. His grandmother died hmm. as a result of the disease of addiction. So he knew all of that, and he still chose to experiment with drugs and alcohol. I, and again, he was, so he had the education provided by me, like you said, I'm a therapist, so I know these things. So I educated him. He but he's young, you know, boys are young, especially boys, Alaskan boys just think they're bulletproof. And, I, and he thought that of himself. And he just didn't have it yet. He was close to getting it. He was realizing and he was coming to the conclusion that drugs and alcohol would ruin his life. And I believe he knew that and was taking the steps necessary for it not to ruin his life. If he had not gotten fentanyl that day, he would have, I believe, he would have gone back into recovery. And anybody's guess what he could have done for his life and what he could have done for Alaska. But fentanyl took him. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I really did want to highlight that because you know, out of the hundreds and hundreds of children and young teens that I've worked with and therapists across the state work with, that story is very, very common. Um, and I want to drive that point home to parents who think that this won't happen to them. I mean, just when I Googled fentanyl, the first thing I saw was the story in the, you know, Oregon newspaper and on the news about two young teenagers who died, um, you know, in Oregon on Sunday and Monday 
from taking uh, M30s, which I, in my research indicate are a, was a counterfeit um, oxycodone uh, that was stamped with the numbers just like from a doctor's office. And kids are taking those things recreationally. And it's just a matter of, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Um, my understanding also, and Michael can get into a little bit more about this, is that a lot of times it's the dealer. They don't even know that fentanyl is involved. So um, I just want to drive that point home to parents. And, um, Michael, let's uh, let's go to you to talk about the the scope and some of the history of fentanyl because fentanyl's been around for a long time and it's been sort of abused for a long time but can you give us a little bit about the background of fentanyl its manufacture what exactly it is and um and how it's getting uh, into these substances sure so i would like to go back and touch on real quickly when you talked about how little what little amount of fentanyl it takes to to amount to a lethal dose enough to put on the head of a pencil even for me, and I'm one of those visual guys, that doesn't doesn't really accurately, for me at least, portray how how it is. But I think everybody's been to a restaurant, and at the you know at your table at the restaurant, you have a little blue packet of of NutraSweet usually, or a Splenda, or something sitting there, just a sweetener for whatever you're drinking. Yeah. One one of those packets is a gram. One of those packets contains enough, if it were fentanyl, it would be enough fentanyl to kill 500 people. Gosh. So, and, and, and that gives you a little insight also into the how hard it is when police are looking to intercept these packages. Right. If two grams of fentanyl coming in and you're literally looking for two NutraSweet packages, but it's enough to dose a thousand people. It, you know, it becomes a big problem. As far as fentanyl is a, a legitimate substance, it's been around for a long time as a pain management medication for people who have acute pain. A lot of time it's uh, end-stage cancers or anything else that causes very acute pain. It, it's also used for people who are in chronic pain, but over time, traditional opiate treatments, they've developed a resistance to it or a tolerance for it. So they have to step up their medication just to keep that chronic pain in control. And then uh, we could probably, if we, if we were to sit down into a timeline, trace it back to when Oxycontin started to be popular as a drug of abuse. Oh, gosh, when was that? The late 90s. Oxycontin became popular. It was called hillbilly heroin. People were doctor shopping in Florida to get Oxycontin. Uh, there was, and they would crush it because it was time release. They would crush it. That would negate the time release factor, and they would get the full effect of the, the medicine immediately. There was a reformulation of Oxycontin so that when you crushed it, it, you no longer got that effect. And that sort of pushed people away from Oxycontin back to heroin. And it just started this cycle of the misuse of otherwise illicit 
pharmaceuticals. Then fentanyl got in, uh, became popular. At the, when it first became popular, it was primarily of Chinese origin. It was manufactured from China and sent to the United States. We would uh, we would be arresting people. They would do analogs. They would change a molecule of the fentanyl. It would have the same effect, but it was no longer illegal federally no. because they they had changed it. So we were constantly playing these catch-up games, trying to make uh, every molecule illegal in the states. In this instance, actually got ahead of the federal government, and they would write legislation making fentanyl and all its analogs um, illegal. So it's a Schedule II pharmaceutical, still used. Uh, as far as getting into the counterfeit, China sort of uh, regulated it within their within their country. Uh, we lost really the big shipments of fentanyl coming in from China, although it still happens. Primarily now, it's precursor chemicals. Those chemicals that are used to manufacture uh, fentanyl are shipped to Mexico, where there's very little regulation of precursor chemicals. It gets into the hands of the Mexican drug cartels. They use it to manufacture fentanyl. They do actually manufacture counterfeit fentanyl tablets. But they, they, the pill presses they use, this is just my theory. It's been backed up by a lot of experience. The pill presses, the machines that actually make the pills are the same presses that they use when they're pressing pills for Xanax, for the M30s, and for every other counterfeit drug that they so when they they do a run of fentanyl, they make 100,000 fentanyl pills, and then the next run is 100,000 OxyContin, M30s. They're, those pills then become contaminated with residual fentanyl from previous manufacturing runs, and they go out as counterfeit M30s with people completely unaware that they've been contaminated with fentanyl and you know like you said two milligrams and you're dead so it doesn't take a lot no it does not um i put there is a picture on the website that illustrates that two vials one of heroin lethal dose of heroin and a lethal dose of fentanyl and when i saw those two pictures side by side it it was quite striking um and your uh nutrisweet packet uh, visual, um, is quite powerful as well. So, uh, if you're just, I do need to, uh, take a break right now, but we will get back to, um, get back to more of that, uh, what's happening and how it's getting here. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm discussing a recent spike in drug overdose deaths linked to counterfeit opiates laced with fentanyl. My guests are Michael Troster with the high intensity drug trafficking area program and Sandy Snodgrass, who is an Anchorage therapist and the mother of Robert Snodgrass, uh, Robert Bruce Snodgrass, who died on October 28, 2021, after taking drugs laced with fentanyl. He was 22 years old. The message of today's program is just one pill can kill. 
If you have a question for Michael or Sandy or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our Anchorage number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, we can be reached toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to get your question to us is to email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. After this short break, we'll continue more of our conversation about the dangers of fentanyl. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you are listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Sobriety Awareness Month in Alaska. If alcohol is hindering you from living your best life, Recover Alaska is here to help whether you're sober, thinking of reducing your drinking, or wanting to support a loved one who is struggling. Recover Alaska is normalizing sober and sober curious lifestyles through its virtual sober lounge. Get inspiration, access resources, and measure your relationship with alcohol at recoveralaska.org. This message sponsored by Recover Alaska. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you are just joining us, I am discussing the recent spike in drug overdose deaths linked to counterfeit opioids laced with fentanyl. My guests are Michael Troster, who is with the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program, and Sandy Snodgrass, who is an Anchorage therapist and the mother of Robert Bruce Snodgrass, who died of a fentanyl overdose on October 28th of 2021. The message of today's program is just one pill can kill. If you have a question for Michael or Sandy or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Our email is line1 at alaskapublic.org. You can call us in Anchorage at 907-550-8433, or you can reach us toll-free at one 888 Three five three five seven five two. Okay, before uh, the break, uh, Michael was giving us a rundown. I know the outbreak of deaths on the East Coast from really 2005 through 2007 was um, sort of the reason behind the crackdown uh, that led to the crackdown in China um, on the manufacture of fentanyl. And then, as you mentioned, Michael, it sort of went off the radar until 2014 um, and 15, and then it started to, I've noticed that <clears throat> the overdose deaths started to creep back up, um, and we've seen the steady rise of fentanyl um, over the last six to seven years, and really a huge spike since 2019. So I'm wondering, um, you know, drug dealers, it's it's bad business to have the people you're selling to die. Um, and that is certainly not uh, anyone's intent. 
Um, so Michael, can you talk a little bit about like why this spike, why, why are people using fentanyl if it's so lethal, um, to cut drugs and to, uh, and, and since it takes such a small amount to kill, it seems like it's a really hard thing to get the right amount, um, in, and, and these pills are being like pressed, as you said, in Mexico, by cartels who are not uh, I, they're not scientists i wouldn't imagine they're not um really formulating this stuff as a farm pharmaceutical company would so why is this happening why are we seeing this in this huge increase in uh in the last couple of years well you just asked a million dollar question it's something i think everybody's wondering why the huge increase i think it's <laughs> I mean, if you're looking for a personal opinion, we've started, we have a culture that medicates itself, right? Whether it's Xanax or ADHD drugs. And they're looking for an instant fix. And while it's true that a local dealer doesn't want to kill his customers, the cartel does not care about it. Right. Not, not one lit. So them giving... Say they send in 100,000 uh, M30 Oxycontins, 40% of which are contaminated with fentanyl. The cartel has absolutely no compunction doing that. They do not care in the slightest uh, that that's potentially uh, 40,000 40, deaths, not in the slightest. And the local dealer who's getting them is, well, is unaware for the most part that the bulk of his drugs are contaminated by men. And I think that the addict mindset plays a part in it. And you know from counseling, and I'm sure Sandy knows from it, there is a mindset that, if, you know, if you were to go to, to you or me or Sandy and say, hey, listen, I've got five, and you have five pills in your hand, and you were to ask us, hey, do you want one? And, oh, by the way, two of these will kill you. I don't know which two they are. Mm. Uh, you and me and Sandy would go, nope, I will take a pass, hard pass. No, thank you. The adding mindset is not to take that pass. It's like, oh, I'll take my chances, and it won't kill me. I know how to handle it. And they don't. So, you know, there's a... There's a change in brain chemistry that happens, I think, when when people are addicted. And, you know, I, I don't know what we can do about that to break that cycle. No, and you're right. That denial, I mean, you may be, uh, you know, if, if you were to say to an addict, two out of these five will kill you, they might... Um they might think pretty long and hard about it, but the addict mind is not thinking that way when they're going to the dealer and they trust. It's that denial um, stuff and the, the I won't get one of those sort of mindset. Um, and kids are invincible, as Sandy mentioned earlier, that sort of like young people have um, Superman syndrome and, and think that it's not going to happen to them and they don't know anybody who got bad pills and they know their drug dealer and their drug dealer is their buddy down the street um, or the, the guy who just graduated from high school. I mean, it's and it looks it looks legitimate. But what you're saying, Michael, and confirm this if it's true, that 
is is it true that drug enforcement like the research or the the analysis tells us that two out of five pills coming in are laced with potentially lethal lethal doses of fentanyl i won't say intentionally laced and that's what i when you say laced i i think intentionally right i would say contaminated they're, they're contaminated yep 40 percent are contaminated two out of every five are contaminated with fentanyl. all right so I can, and I'll, I'll just give you from my perspective and i'll go back to the days when i was with dea uh, in the early days, you would have an organization that worked, that sold and distributed one type of drug. And let's say it was just cocaine, and that's all they did. Over time, that evolved, and now they're polydrug organizations or even polycrime organizations. Drugs is just one of the things they do. They're also human traffickers and sex traffickers, and they, but they also distribute multiple different drugs from cocaine, heroin, Pills. So that evolved, and they no longer do what you would call a pure load. So, if you're anticipating, uh, you know, we have we're going to seize 100 kilos of cocaine, you send it to the lab. In the early days, you got 100 kilos of cocaine. There was no doubt that that was what was happening. Now, you're more likely to get. Uh, you got 80 kilos of cocaine, 10 kilos of heroin, 5 kilos of meth, and 5 kilos of fentanyl. They just mix it all together. So the whole dynamic in business, the business model, for lack of a better term, has changed over time. Okay, so what you're saying is it's it's less likely that these that a Xanax bar is being laced with fentanyl, but it's more likely that... Um, those are contaminated uh, with fentanyl because the manufacturers are just doing it all. Yeah, they're doing it all, and, and they frankly, they don't care. Right. So you, you, you will have both. You will have lace with fentanyl in an effort to create more of a customer base for fentanyl, and then pills that are also contaminated with fentanyl. All right, um, let's go to the, the phones. We have... Uh... Uh, Kristen in Anchor Point, you have a comment for us today. Go ahead. Um, yeah, and I I don't want to belittle anybody's loss because over my lifetime I've had a number of friends die from drug overdoses. But it bothers me when there's conversations come up like this because, like, what you're doing right now, the only people you have on this discussion are two white people. And it's like whenever we talk about this problem with fentanyl or with methamphetamine or heroin, just pure hair, or any of these drugs, it's always just the white people who seem to be involved in talking about it. Like, oh, it doesn't exist. It's not a problem among the black community or the native community or anything like that. When, of course, it's been a problem among those communities for decades. Since at least the 60s, it's been a problem among these these uh, uh, groups of people. And yet when the conversation comes up, all we hear about is from white people on, oh, how terrible it is and how something needs to be done and stuff. Well, that's what blacks and Hispanics and Asians have been saying for, and Native Americans, for decades, decades, this has been a problem. 
uh, the fentanyl thing is relatively new. Yeah, it's like within the last 20, 30 years that it's been cropping its ugly head into the situation. But as long as there's this two, three-tier concept that when it affects white people, it's an important topic and it needs to be handled. And when it's everybody else, it's not so important. We'll just get the cops out there and take care of it. You know, we'll arrest them. We'll put them in jail. Maybe give them a little bit of treatment when they're in prison. And it just bothers me that the conversation is not more inclusive. That it doesn't say that, you know, does, well, maybe we're having problems among the white population because it's been allowed to just run rampant through the other populations of our, our country and our world. Um, and I know it's painful to think about that, but this is, has to be an inclusive conversation. Um, you know, and until that happens, until we see that this is not just a problem among certain groups of people, it's a problem for all groups of people. All right, we Kristen. All be involved. Um I thank thank you so much for bringing that up because you're absolutely right. Um, I remember I worked in uh, drug rehab back in you know the early uh, when was that the 90s, but I also was have been doing this for a long time, and I remember the the crack cocaine uh, epidemic was primarily among minority communities, and what what was our response as a country was to create the war on drugs where we criminalized it and put all the, the young black men and um, minority groups in jail. Uh, that was our answer to that one. And then when heroin and Oxycontin came out and it became a rich white kid uh, sort of problem, then it became something that um, society wanted to call an epidemic and something that we needed more treatment options. We needed to really like it was it was a disease. So to your point, I would agree 100 percent that this needs to be an inclusive conversation. So I really appreciate you bringing that up and your insight on that. As far as today's program, um, it didn't have anything to do with white people. It had to do with a mother who called and wanted to talk about her son's death and to warn parents of every uh, community in Anchorage, anyone who is listening, um, that these things are out there. Um, but I do really do appreciate you bringing that to our attention. Um, Sandy, do you uh, want to, do you have a comment for uh, for Kristen or, or some feedback there? Kristen, I, I do. I too appreciate your call. I think you're absolutely right. This needs to be an inclusive conversation. My son, um, you know, he was running just in Anchorage. He was running in Mountain View, with, had a lot of friends in that culture in Mountain View. And I know how difficult that's been. I've been here since 1968. And Mountain View has been Mountain View since 1968. And it is a minority community. And Anchorage has done nothing to address that situation, in my opinion. So thank you so much for your comment. I agree with you 100%. And to the point about um, the drug dealers not knowing what they're distributing, when APD met me behind the car's grocery store when my, where my son was found, 
the APD officer told me he had just come from another mother making the exact same notification. And I asked him, you know, what are we going to, how can we stop this? What are we going to do? What about the drug dealer that gave my son these drugs? And APD officer responded to me that that drug dealer is probably also dead. Right. Probably took the same product with the same batch. Um, and it really does sound like this is sort of a, uh, a crapshoot, uh, especially with the numbers. My understanding is that fentanyl is a, a heck of a lot cheaper and pretty easy to make with the right, um, the right precursors. Um, and so it's, it's something that uh, once it starts flowing in, as, as Michael said, it's so hard to catch because it takes so little of it. Uh, we are up against our, our second break, so if you're just uh, tuning in, I am discussing the recent spike in drug overdose deaths linked to counterfeit opioids that are contaminated, is a better word than laced, with fentanyl. My guests are, are Michael Troster with the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program and Sandy Snodgrass, who is an Anchorage therapist and the mother of Robert Snodgrass, who died on October 28th, 2021, after taking drugs contaminated with fentanyl. The message of today's program is just one pill can kill. After this short break, we'll continue with more of our conversation about the dangers of fentanyl. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. The Alaska Travel Industry Association provides leadership and guidance to Alaska's tourism businesses for how to operate safely across the state. Members can access updated industry resources related to COVID-19 at alaskatia.org. This message sponsored by ATIA. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you are just tuning in, I'm discussing the recent spike in drug overdose deaths linked to counterfeit opioids that are contaminated with fentanyl. My guests today are Michael Troster with the High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program and Sandy Snodgrass, who is an Anchorage therapist and the mother of Robert Snodgrass, who died of a fentanyl overdose in October, on October 28, 2021, at the age of 22. Um, we are really trying to stress the message that it just takes one pill um, to die from this, uh, this powerful drug. If you have a question for Michael or Sandy or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. You can reach us in Anchorage at five, or I mean at 907-550-8433. Or you can call us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to participate is by emailing your questions to line1 at alaskapublic.org. Um, we are going to quickly run out of time, so if you have a call or an email, please get them in in the next five minutes or so, so I can try uh, to get them on the air. Okay, um, Michael, can... Uh, can you talk about, I mentioned some of the different drugs, but can you talk about some of the drugs that are coming in, like 
kids are using a lot of this stuff um, and pills and pill parties. And I hear about it in my office all the time. They're taking bars, which is Xanax and um, Molly. And, uh, you know, there's just so many different different drugs that kids are taking these days. Can you talk about what are you finding is contaminated uh, with fentanyl? What sorts of drugs recreationally? Well, I think the shorter list would be the ones that aren't. And there aren't. Uh, we're finding it now, uh, even getting reports of it on marijuana. Mm. There, there is not a single drug uh, that's being counterfeited or the, the typical traditional illicit narcotics that there is not a risk of contamination with fentanyl. Yeah, I read in a uh, an article about a. It was a DEA agent or somebody who was overdosed and almost died just from being in the room um, after a drug bust. I mean, it's that sensitive, right? Yes, it can happen. I think uh, if you're sitting in your computer, you could probably Google it. I believe it was a San Diego County sheriff was testing someone in the trunk of a car and just opening the trunk, he overdosed and fell over right in front of his partner. And it was uh, his partner administering Narcan that saved his life. Yeah, and I also understand um, that Narcan, the normal amount of Narcan for a normal opiate uh, overdose, just the way it binds to the receptors um, may not be enough, uh, that it's it, it hangs on tighter. Is that accurate as well? Uh, well, yeah, so yes. It takes more dosing of Narcan. So you'll get a dose, the person will revive, and there's so much fentanyl in their system that once the Narcan is metabolized, they overdose again. Wow. So, so you're talking multiple doses, and there's a new class of, of uh, synthetic opioids, uh, the netazine family. Some of those are purely illicit. Some have legitimate uses. And it's debatable now uh, whether Narcan will be effective with those at all. And we've had in Alaska at least two deaths, overdose deaths from that family within the last year. And both of those are up in Fairbanks. Okay. So there is, is there any way for anyone to know if they're getting contaminated pills or is it really just like kids are just taking a risk every single time? Yeah, you're paying Russian roulette every single time. I would, uh, I, my advice to people would be any person, if you haven't been given the medication by a licensed physician or pharmacist, you're running the risk of killing yourself. Okay, that's a that's a powerful message. I want um, I want folks to take home. Okay, um, I guess let's go uh, back to Sandy. Can you talk about like what you're doing as far as like outreach? You've sort of taken this on um, as your mission here lately, and as your purpose. You're a therapist, uh, but there's been a shift in in your drive and and what you're doing with your life at this point. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So 
I, I didn't catch the beginning of your question. I'm sorry. Can you repeat it right quick? Well, I said there's been kind of a shift. You're a therapist, and you've been working with people on a lot of issues. But um, since your son's death, uh, you have really sort of shifted your mission. Can you talk about what you're doing now, some of the outreach? Like, this is it? I, I can. So, th yeah, and thank you for the question. Since my son's died, I've been almost solely focused on getting the, you know, getting the word out about fentanyl and advocating for specifically some things that Mr. Troster is doing at a federal level with our representatives in Washington. I'm also working with the MAPSU Opioid Task Force in support of Kelsey's law, and that is a law to upstream prevention to our middle school and high schoolers during Red Ribbon, Red Ribbon Week to educate them about the dangers of fentanyl and the dangers of opioids. Um, John is Kelsey's father. She died of a heroin withdrawal on the jail of the Anchorage jail several years ago, and he's been instrumental in Kelsey's law named after his daughter, so right now we're trying to get that legislate into the legislative session to require middle and high school students to have an hour of education at least once a year to educate them about the dangers of contaminated pills and contaminated injectables and even like Michael talked about the sprayed on marijuana. So that's Real, if somebody wants to do something today, they could look up Kelsey's Law with, through the, op, the MAPSU Opioid Task Force and join that fight to help our children be educated on this issue. All right. What's being done, um, to your knowledge, or do you know, like, in the schools as far as getting the word out? Um I know that uh, this recent, these two deaths in Oregon, there are messages going out um, through the schools and, and community sort of bulletins about the dangers of this stuff. What are we doing here um, to educate and get this word out? Do you know, Sandy? So currently we do have Red Ribbon Week in our schools, which educates our students about the dangers of drugs, but it is not addressing fentanyl specifically. There's nothing in the lesson plans right now. So that's why Kelsey's law is so important right now to get that in front of the legislature this fall to include one pill can kill. Yeah, this seems critical. I mean, when adults say drugs are bad, um, that doesn't have a lot of impact, uh, you know, the just say no campaign. Um, when parents say drugs are bad, that doesn't do it. But just to get the seriousness of this out, we've I think we've got to come up with some creative ways to um, drive this home to our children that, that, as Michael said, it is Russian roulette every time, especially um, right now with the way these uh, drugs are being manufactured and the lack of 
um, attention. I think it was good advice. Never take anything you didn't get from a pharmacist um, ever. And it's just a crapshoot. So uh, we have a phone call I want to go to. Uh, George in Sitka, you have a comment for us or a question? Yeah, comment. Uh, I feel like this problem is the government prohibitioning heroin and cocaine and all these drugs in the first place. You used to be able to go to the corner store and buy a bottle of heroin, bottle of morphine, bottle of cocaine. It was the same thing every time. There wasn't any weird crap going in it because they've created a black market. And they did this in Prohibition. When they prohibition alcohol, there's people making alcohol, bathtub alcohol, whatever you want to call it, and there's people dying, going blind from that. I think that's the problem. They spend billions upon billions of dollars on this drug war. That's never going to end. All that money, they could just they could just make all this stuff legal where you can go to the store, FDA regulate it, and all those billions of dollars, they can open up free clinics for somebody who wants to get help. That's, I think that's what needs to get done. All right. Well, I appreciate your comment. That's a uh, conversation for a different day, the legalization of all drugs. Um, I know that uh, nationwide and worldwide we're doing that experiment with marijuana. Um, right now we have legalized that. And there's a, uh, as I drive around Anchorage, there is a shop on every corner, it seems like. Um, so, uh, yeah, that is an interesting point, and it's been debated for a long time. Um, and I think it has, uh, <laughs> it would have some unintended consequences, perhaps. Um, but yeah, good question uh, or good comment. Thank you. All right. Um, Sandy, can you, uh, like, if, if you have a message, like, for parents on, on what they should talk to their, how they should talk to their kids about this, uh, have, I'm sure you've thought about this over and over uh, since, since your son's death, and, like, what could you have done differently, how could you, like, all that stuff that goes along normally um, when someone close to you, especially a child, dies, but... What would you encourage, and how do you encourage parents to talk to their kids about this issue? That's a hard question. Yeah, I I thought I had done everything I could do to prevent this from happening, and it still happened to me. Um, parents, it's so important to have an open conversation with your children, and they're going to most often likely say, no, mom, no, mom, I'm never going to use drugs. But I would suggest that they persist in giving them the information, some of the information that Michael shared today about the Russian roulette and how, you know, anything can happen to anybody and they're not, it's, you know, it isn't the guy under the bridge that's going to die. It's going to perhaps be your child if they get one of these laced or counterfeit pills and just talk to them anyway even if they don't want to listen all right um yeah talk to your kids talk to them often talk when they're young um i got an email here it said could we put a narcan dose in every he wants to know how to save an overdose victim. Can we put a Narcan dose in every taxi cab in Anchorage and Palmer? Can a victim be saved by CPR or rescue breathing? 
Um, what is the what's being done, Michael, that you're aware of, if you are, um, as far as the intervention for post uh, fentanyl? I guess poisoning would be uh, the correct term. Well, you know, Narcan is the the uh, treatment of choice by first responders. As far as whether CPR and rescue breathing, yeah, I would recommend all of that while you're activating emergency services to get them to definitive care. Because like we talked about, there's you need multiple doses sometimes of Narcan. And I, I think uh, we are missing, not missing, the overdose problem is larger than we think it is uh, because we don't properly track Narcan. So we don't get a really good indication of how many people are overdosing because in our great intentions to save lives and we should be doing it, there's a lot of lay administration of Narcan by people doing the right thing. And we don't know how many people are being saved by family members who have Narcan, by friends who have Narcan, We just sort of have an idea based on EMS, uh, first responders using Narcan. All right. If if somebody wants Narcan, if they have a family member or friend who, like, struggles with, with opiate addiction, is th- how do people get Narcan? I think Sandy probably be better with that. I know as, as part of IDA, we issue it to every member of IDA gets a kit that includes Narcan. All right, Sandy, do you have an answer to that? The Matsu Opioid Task Force is giving away Narcan as we speak. They're giving away triple-dose Narcan for fentanyl overdoses. The Matsu Opioid Task Force. All right, so this is, it's happening. Give a call to them. Um, Sandy, final thoughts real quickly. Thank you for doing this, and... I'm doing this for my son, Bruce. If this message gets to any young people out there, please, please, please don't use. Don't use. All right. My thanks to today's guests, Sandy Snodgrass and Michael Truster. Michael, thank you for the valuable information. And Sandy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Um, Please share this episode with all your friends and especially anyone who has teenage children and anyone who might be struggling with opioid addiction. The threat is invisible and real, and the simple act of raising awareness might save a life. Uh, My thanks to Adeline Baxter for all her work on today's program. I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.